I would say we're in the early stages of a transition. And the massive misunderstood part is like, I think short-term rentals are the most fascinating part of residential real estate right now, which is the largest asset class on earth. And if it's changing in the ways that we think, let's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of room to grow. Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs and the hosts who've made them memorable. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Sponstaneous, a free weekly newsletter that brings you a carefully curated list of last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. Sign up at Sponstaneous.com. I'm your host, Zach Cruz. Enjoy the show. Hey friends, so I wanna get real with you for just a quick second here, okay? So my wife and I decided it was time to take a risk and for me to leave my day job as head of growth at a marketing agency and go all in on Spontaneous and the Behind the Stays podcast. This is both incredibly exciting and also terrifying. Um, it's exciting because it means I'll have way more time to make the show better and to spin up new products and services designed to help you grow your hospitality brands and short-term rental businesses. And it's terrifying because I'm saying goodbye to a nice paycheck and health benefits and 401k match and yada yada. Oh, and did I mention that we just had a kid and who's just two months old? Yeah, it's been a it's been an exciting time. Okay, so here's here's the ask, all right? In order to grow the show and increase the value of the content we create, we need the support of our advertising partners. Now, trust me, I know how tempting it is to just skip through podcast ads. I feel you and I'm a culprit too, okay? But it would mean the world to me if you could take just 60 seconds to write an email to the guesty team or DM them on social media and just thank them for being a behind the stage sponsor. Perhaps you have a PMS system already or perhaps your short-term rental business is just getting started and you don't need one of the dozens of incredible features and offers that their software provides. And that's all a-okay. But if you just take a quick second to thank them for being a sponsor on the show, what you're really doing is you're really saying, hey, I like the show. Thank you for helping it continue. And thank you for making Zach uh, be able to spend more time making the show even better for us. So this will also just help uh, prove to my wife that this quote unquote podcasting thing can be more than just a hobby. So if you don't mind pausing the episode that you're listening to right now and scrolling down to the show notes to find Guesty's social handles and their marketing team's email address and shooting them just a quick message, thanking them for advertising on the Behind the Stays podcast, I would be so grateful. All right, folks, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Now on to the show. In just a moment, you'll meet Andrew Kitchell, a hospitality and prop tech entrepreneur currently leading the team at Wheelhouse. Wheelhouse is a technology platform that helps you manage your short-term rentals as professionally and efficiently as major hotels, from understanding performance to better nightly pricing. Andrew is no stranger to tech or hospitality. In fact, he was building companies in Silicon Valley while a then small startup, Air Bed and Breakfast, was working their way through Y Combinator, the most exclusive startup accelerators in the world. In this episode, Andrew and I discuss the revenue management strategies that the best hospitality entrepreneurs use to scale their brand reach as well as their revenue and profitability, new business opportunities for entrepreneurs looking to build in this ever dynamic space, and the future of travel, workcations, and experiential stays. All right, without further ado, get ready to meet Andrew. All right, Andrew, we are live, my friend. How are you doing today? I'm great, how are you? I'm I'm excited for this conversation, man. I 
was thinking back just before we uh, hopped on here about like when I first found you. And I actually think of, of all of all places, like I found you, I think I found you on LinkedIn first, didn't connect with you, but then like started seeing you pop up on Twitter and sort of reading some of your 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 tweets. Um, and then I believe that's how we originally connected. So um, I had no idea how cool you were though until we hopped on a call last week or the week before and you were telling me about like, I did this and I did that. And I was like, dang, you're like far more interesting than than I thought you were. So uh, I always love when people surprise you like that. It's uh, it's always, sometimes it's the other way, right? But uh, anytime it's it's they're more interesting than, than you think that they'll be, uh, it's always an exciting time, at least for me. Kind of you to say, I, I think, um, I mean, I'm looking forward to sharing some stories too today. I think, uh, we did have a great conversation, uh, love the hustle and the kind of the, the energy you're bringing to our space. And yeah, luckily do you have, do you have a couple stories in the category? So excited to talk today and, and see if we can be helpful at all. Awesome, man. Well, you've done a lot and I want to kind of unpack what I'll call just like the various chapters of your, of your career in the space, uh, thus far. But I thought it'd be fun to just kind of hear what inspired you to get into the space to to begin with, right? Did you grow up thinking that you wanted to work in hospitality or work in prop tech? Like, where where did Andrew first uh, become introduced to the industry, and at what point did you realize that this would be a fun space for you to for you to build in? Yeah, I mean, I really knew in preschool I wanted to do revenue. No, I'm just um, I um, so I I. Look, I think that the broader the broader category that we work in the short term rental slash vacation rental space, which, yeah, part of the prop tech space is, is really kind of infinitely fascinating to me, and and in many ways, it's like the greatest unlock of what we're seeing right now, and kind of the Airbnb entrepreneurs and other things are the greatest unlock in the history of hospitality. So, oh. there's a lot of kind of um, fascinating angles for me, but I, I got into the space originally as a host, so. Um, way back in the day, uh, our home in San Francisco, where I I, uh, I was building a different business, a publishing business. Okay. Um, this crazy idea called Air Bed and Breakfast popped up, and my very good friend was in the same startup accelerator with Air Bed and Breakfast. So we were probably the first hundred couches on Airbnb. No way. Among the first hundred couches, yeah. And then we added a few rooms and it was pretty funny. We would rent our rooms out and literally go sleep in a friend's room, like across this, this hacker house. <laughs> and I, I mean, I just, I, I fell in love with it. I met 50 plus people. I hosted data scientists and professors and all these folks and um, really got excited about the category and, and creating hospitality experiences generally. Wow. Um, and that was kind of uh, an early foundation in it. I think I was attracted to that lifestyle, certainly. And then more professionally got brought into um, brought into a company called Beyond Stays about 10 years ago. Okay. Uh, and got brought in by uh, to run that company, be CEO of that company by um, a, a mentor who I had worked with a couple of times before named Eric Wu, founder of Open Door. Ah, who kind yes. of said, hey, Andrew, based on your background, prior work experience, I think you'd be the right CEO to lead this company. Come, come build it while I go build open door. Wow. And so that was, that was how professionally I got brought in first, first as an operating company, even prior to beyond pricing. Very, very, very cool. Wow. So, I mean, it's, it's actually not often that you meet somebody who sort of like stepped into the industry, right. As like Airbnb was taken off. I feel like it's either you've been in the industry for forever. Right. And you remember like, you know, 
20 years before, like, you know, before Airbnb was even a thing, right? Um, or you've joined in the last, like, few years, right? Um, and, and and so it's interesting to kind of meet somebody who kind of came in right as Airbnb was launching, which I would sort of argue is, you know, maybe the second or or, or maybe sort of like third wave of, of hospitality uh, or at least hospitality entrepreneurship that, uh, that, that we're seeing here. So that's awesome, man. Um, so you're you had a buddy that was in YC with um, the Airbnb yes. folks. That's crazy. Yes. Wow. Yes. Wow. Okay. Okay. Would we know his company by chance, or or, or not? Not probably. Their, their company didn't quite. Well, they were they were eventually acquired by Microsoft, but okay. it was it was more of a hardcore engineering project that was acquired, right? Got um. It. But it was funny because our buddy was um. The Airbnb team was flying into San Francisco at the time, and there were two teams that were commuting down the peninsula. So our buddy was carpooling down and came back one night and said, there's these crazy guys. They've got an idea, Airbed and breakfast. Not going to work, but let's help them out. And the rest is history. <laughs> oh, dude, that's an amazing story. Uh, honestly, I, I, I'm always envious of people that like lived in Silicon Valley like during this moment, like during the, this this time, because I feel like th- that was just such an exciting time when so many so many startups like that we know and love today were were really just getting off their feet. Um, and I have a, a couple of, of friends who are, are a little bit older than me that were that were there during that time. And anytime they share story, like I one of my buddies like happened to rent Elon Musk's house just because like Elon <laughs> had like left and like he had put his house yeah. up and they didn't realize until they like literally they didn't realize anything until they were rent in the house and they'd get mail for Elon at the house. And they were like, where are we? And it's like thinking about this like a decade and some change like later, like it's crazy. They're like that's not that long, but it was a totally, totally different, like really fun dynamic era. So anyways, I'm jealous of you folks that got to live through it. It, it was, and I know we're gonna talk about other things today, but can I add one cool thing to that, Zach? Please, please. The fun part that about that era was there were all these new companies that were either empowered by the next generation of web or mobile that were emerging. Right. You had yeah. Uber, yeah. you had Instagram, other things like that. And this week I went to uh, an AI hack event. Okay. And that same energy of everyone bringing, coming together and showing off their projects and just like meeting in a room and talking about the, the cutting edge, edge uh, technology, that energy is, I would argue, back. Yeah. And I haven't mm-hmm. seen it for, I haven't seen it for a decade. But this, the reason I love this town so much is um, that type of like, I mean, literally people running servers in their garages to build their AI dream around photo processing. I would just say, like, it was lucky to see that era for those who love technology. Uh, there's fun stuff going on right now, too. Yeah, yeah. Very exciting. Very cool. Very cool. Um, well, good. There's there's, there's still hope um, that I'll get to tap <laughs> yeah. into some of that energy at some point. But um, That's right. There are three questions that I get asked all the time by listeners of Behind the Stays. Number one, Zach, are you trying to imitate Guy Raz from NPR's interview style? Number two, Zach, do you really spend a dozen hours each week looking for the best Airbnb deals? And number three, Zach, is Guesty for Hosts really worth checking out? Well, friends, the answer to all three of these questions is, of course, yes. 
While there are many property management softwares on the market, I always encourage our listeners to check out Guesty for Hosts. Guesty's channel manager centralizes reservations across Airbnb, Verbo, and Booking.com to stay on top of your listings without having to hop back and forth between channels. Guesty's automation tools enable you to connect with guests in a meaningful, creative, and instant fashion. And Guesty's new and improved website builder allows you to create your own branded booking website in just minutes, which allows you to grow your brand and increase your direct bookings. And finally, Guesty is positioned well to grow with you. As your business grows, you can grow with Guesty for Pros by unlocking new features and offerings designed for larger portfolios. So here's the deal. If you're an STR host without a PMS system or a host looking at exploring a new one, I've got a treat for you. The team at Guesty is giving Behind the Stays listeners and spontaneous subscribers $20 off an annual or monthly plan for Guesty for hosts when they use the discount code SPONTANEOUS when signing up for a free 14-day trial. There's no credit card required. There's no setup fee. Uh, there's no commitment. So try it out and cancel anytime if you don't love it. Guesty for hosts. They're the bestie of top-rated STR super hosts. All right, folks, back to the show. But hey, I, I want to talk about Beyond Pricing. So talk to us a little bit about sort of what, what your role was there, how that got started, um, and maybe sort of like a, a lesson or two that you learned that was that was particularly important to, to the rest of your career there. Yeah. So uh, Beyond Pricing emerged, as mentioned, from a company called Beyond Stays. Yep. Right. So Beyond Stays was... Um, you can think of it kind of a, as a first Airbnb really brought urban inventory online and beyond stays was the question of, could you put a brand on that inventory and start to say, offer the kind of uniqueness of spaces plus professionalization, Yep. the urban environment. Yep. Right. We scaled that to 50 properties in San Francisco. I got brought in when we were probably at about 25 properties or so. There was a small team running, kind of building the ops piece and at that time, our team was updating pricing by hand. I think the, the team was well aware that you could adjust pricing due to, you know, due to some measure of demand or yep. occupancy, et cetera. And that was all well and good, but uh, updating pricing by hand two days a week, um, given the background that I, you know, lucky to, to kind of see the startup side of the world from the YC side, knowing what software could do a week, a friend and I as a weekend hack project basically built what was likely the first auto updater of Airbnb. Wow. Wow. Uh, where we could go update pricing based on a, a script, right? So we we hacked the mobile API and by we, I mean, I sat next to my best engineering friend and told him what we were trying to do, <laughs> right? Um, that was cool. That helped us out a lot. It saved a lot of time. And we decided that we wanted to throw that project up on Product Hunt. Oh, we're nice. Just like, well, we like it. Let's see if other people want to do it. So yeah. build a basic web page, yada, yada, yada launched it on Product Hunt, and a week later had 7% of all Airbnbs in San Francisco signed jeez, up. Jeez, jeez. There's and, something and here. Sorry, and sorry, sorry, Andrew, like what? what's the year here? Like, can you ground us in a little bit of history? Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, so this is um, 2000, end of 2013, early 2014. Okay, okay, awesome. Right, so um, I think Airbnb was 2000, what, 2009-ish Yeah, or yeah. So or like, like a couple years of, later- yeah. Yeah, so a couple of years later, you're starting to see professionalization of the inventory. Um, and what was what was we put this on product time, and not only did we have a lot of folks see it, uh, someone from Expedia reached out, okay, and said, "Hey, we we've seen uh, we see, we saw this project. We're actually flying in next week to San Francisco. Do you want to talk?" And I was like, "Sure, why? But yeah, let's do it." <laughs> 
So anyway, that individual, Arthur Chapin, uh, was another individual, but then eventually introduced me to Arthur. Um, I still remember the conversation Arthur and I had at a coffee shop where he said, do you realize what you can do with a dynamic pricing engine? And I was like, oh, yeah, totally. Uh, but why don't you tell me first? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, well, actually, if you control pricing, you can sit in a really interesting place to impact the entire business. Yeah. Um, financial underwriting and other things in the future. And I was kind of nodding and thinking like, holy smokes, we just opened a can of worms that I really didn't realize. Yeah. And we ended up pivoting beyond stays to focus entirely on beyond pricing. Okay. Right. So shut down the operations, literally handed our portfolio, half of our portfolio over to a, a competitor, a former competitor. And we're like, we're going. Wow. Um, there's, a, there's a pretty interesting story. When we, when we went to raise capital about beyond pricing, I, I found out some things about um, the group of people I've been, one of the individuals I've been brought in to kind of lead the business and decided uh, it wasn't going to be a long-term build together. Yeah. It just values, highly different values. Um, so ended up taking the data science team and leaving okay. in a kind of a nice little founder founder split. Um, took the team and started building both Wheelhouse and Lyric, an operating company at the same time. So basically wanted, uh, was fascinated enough by the space didn't think it was, uh, I think we collectively didn't think we were the right team to attack it at Beyond Pricing and uh, wanted to go do much deeper dive into the data science and actually build an opco as well. So that that was a little bit of an accelerated history. Now, learnings, yeah. professional learnings, build with who you love. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Number one. Um, number two, like, I think one thing at Beyond, just like, Sharing early and often opens the door so much to opportunity. I mean, mm. Expedia basically flew in and taught me the business that we had. Yeah, yeah. Which is insane. I, I yeah. I, I didn't know. I didn't see 10 years down the road, and I didn't think I'd be involved in it forever. I had no idea where it was going to go. But uh, the customer or other folks can teach you so much. So I encourage entrepreneurs to share early and often fearlessly because, like, ultimately the only thing you have is speed and execution. Yeah. So sure. And uh, you'll probably have a better idea because of it. I, I'm curious, uh, Andrew. So you guys build one of the first kind of uh, uh, dynamic pricing tools, right, uh, in, in this space. Obviously, many others have popped up since. Uh, what? What? Do you have any thoughts on on sort of like being an early adopter versus being like second or third to market? Like what, what have you seen based off of just your own story and your, and your own experience about whether it's – it, what you know? How to decide if there are too many fish in the sea, so to speak, already? Like too many fish in the pond, got to go find another pond, or or whether or not it's actually advantageous to to wait a little before building and and shipping something new. Like I guess, how do you think about that season and whether or not being too early was uh, a a benefit or or actually sort of like a a, a challenge in disguise? Yeah, it's a great question. Is this? You, you history you can always like look back and answer that question like sure hindsight's 2020 um i would say uh so there's no obviously one formula for success i i think about it um for entrepreneurship generally i encourage people to figure out um where they think the narrative the the widely adopted narrative is wrong so mm -hmm. something i've said about the short-term rental space for for almost a decade now is that it's massive and totally misunderstood hmm Hmm. Right. So, for example, when we first tried to raise around a pricing engine, people in Silicon Valley were, were like, well, Airbnb is going to win all. Yeah. Yeah. 
And we were, we were like, okay, cool. Um, I can see why you think that is going to happen. We need to think of a response to that. And the, the response, which was ultimately informed through data and discussion was, well, Airbnb is percentage points of this much larger industry that you alluded to that had already existed before. It was a percentage points of the vacation rental slash this category that was literally called the alternative accommodation space. Huh. And we're like, <laughs> okay, well, alternative is an interesting signaling word. Yeah. Folks, I, I, I've always shared this with people, which is like, if you hear the word alternative run towards it, it's usually a signal that there's like something big there that mainstream is starting to recognize, but might underappreciate. Huh. So Airbnb was percentage points and there was a multi-marketplace environment, meaning people were selling on Airbnb, but they're also selling on VRBO. Yeah. And they're also selling on booking.com and TripAdvisor. Yeah. And so we were like, okay, well, there's a larger ecosystem here that a marketplace, a single marketplace won't be able to supply the technology that works for someone who sells everywhere. Yeah. Highly so again, venture misunderstanding of um, we thought the ecosystem. Now we could have been totally wrong. I don't think we were. So I generally think um, when you're looking at a space, whether there are a bunch of competitors or not, I would look at whether the um, broad narrative of the category is inaccurate. Yeah. Yeah. And if you have enough conviction or data to tell you that's inaccurate, inaccurate, you can pursue it. And like paradigm shifts, another, another entrepreneur I love always says like, look for a line. That's a great sign of, of when you should go start a business, regardless, you know, you could use that to inform a coffee shop. Yep. Um, or uh, when there's a paradigm shift, like a question you always have to ask as an entrepreneur of like, what, you know, you have to assume that there's great competitors out there for everything. Yep. What's changed about the world hmm. Hmm. that makes it timely for you to build your idea? And what about your team uniquely positions you for success? Yeah. And I think that's like, regardless of the competition, like look what Linear has done in the project management space hmm. of taking on well-financed public competitors and with a team of 30 people out shipping them. That's yeah. all that, all that matters. Like yeah. ship fast and you'll always win. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's super interesting insight. And um, yeah, I, th I think one of the, one of the questions I get asked from folks on Instagram and just people that write in about the, uh, after listening to great folks like you come on the podcast is like, Hey, it seems like there's uh, it seems like there's, there, there are too many hospitality entrepreneurs already in this space, or it seems like the idea of building like a boutique sort of like a collection of like high end Airbnbs, it seems like too many people are doing that. Right. And my response is, is like, well, where are you looking? Right. Like, okay, maybe, maybe if you are trying to do something in Joshua tree, maybe, maybe, maybe that market is a little bit crowded, but like, have you looked at, you know, Shenandoah, Shenandoah Valley in Virginia? Guess what? If you, even if you scroll just on Airbnb, there's all the homes look the same. Like they're all like family cabins, right? And nothing's been updated since the sixties, right? That could be an opportunity, right? And it, it's just, it's funny because I, I think that there's this narrative out there that so many of us sort of like buy into is you see movers and shakers, you see the Airbnbs like of the world and you just assume as you're 
as the VCs that you were talking to assumed that they're just going to to dominate, right? And and while they will be a, a force always, like there's also this incredibly interesting growing like direct booking movement, right? And there are more and more people that have done the hard work of building the audience, right? Building the following. And now, yeah. you know, 60, 70, 80% in some cases of their bookings are coming direct. Like that's really yeah. interesting, right? Um, and, yeah. and worth paying attention to. So um, that- Well, totally. And, and, and like, Zach, I, I would just share like, my narrative at the last fundraise was the category is still massive and misunderstood. Hmm. Yeah. My narrative to the team this year as we kicked off 23 was the category is still massive and misunderstood. The reason is like right now, what is it? About um, 30% of all people can still work from home five days a week in America. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. About 55% can work from home one day a week. Yeah. Meaning if some percentage of those people who could now live or work anywhere decide that now is the time for them to take that trip for a month or for, you know, if you have a three-day weekend, you're much more likely to travel. I actually am, am dying to know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out the exact percentage of people who travel on a three-day versus two-day weekend. But um, I would say we're in the early stages of a transition. And the yeah. massive misunderstood part is like, I think short-term rentals are the most fascinating part of residential real estate right now, which is the largest asset class on earth. And if it's changing in the ways that we think, let's there's a lot of there's a lot of room to grow, and I also think um, I still like to think that the the real short term rental space starts in five years. Reason being, um, you'll have Wi Fi signal everywhere thanks yeah. to Starlink. Yeah, you'll have, have transportation costs probably coming down due to electrification. We still don't have places that are custom built for the traveler type that now comes with these spaces. Digital access is still a challenge. Yeah, and brands are still emerging in the space. So all these things, like the entire ecosystem is in the early stages. And then the largest real estate companies are now coming into the category with mid-length offerings. So it's just like we're early, early stages in a fascinating global position. Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, it's, it's, it's quite exciting. Hey guys, it's Zach. If you're enjoying this episode, could you do me two very quick favors? First, this show is possible thanks to a handful of incredible organizations who've signed on to be advertising partners of Behind the Stays. It would mean the world to me if you'd take just a second to scroll down to the show notes and go learn more about this episode's sponsor. Even if you aren't in the market for agency support or a new PMS at the moment, it never hurts to be aware of who else is out there. And second, if you're listening to this episode on Spotify, could you be so kind as to give Behind the Stays a five-star rating? And if you're on Apple Podcasts, could you submit a quick review and let me know what you love most about the show? I know it seems trivial, but these things really, really do help us grow the show. And just a reminder that if you've ever got feedback from me on how to make the show better, shoot me an email directly at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com. You all really are the best. I love receiving your emails and DMs. All right, so check out the sponsor and leave us a rating and a review, please. All right, guys, back to the show. Now, I want to revisit this in a second to get some of your thoughts on, on kind of like where things are going. But first I do, I do want to hear a little bit about Lyric um, and sort yeah. of the story there and specifically like what, as you were building Lyric, what was, what were some of the UVPs? Uh, obviously there were other, you know, other operators in the space already. Like how did you think about building Lyric and maybe one or two sort of uh, unique value proposition or, or, or differentiation points that you guys really focused on? Sure. So Lyric was um, a little bit of background first. We were a, urban 
corporate travel focused hospitality company. Okay. Uh, we scaled when COVID hit, as an example, we had installations. So kind of between 12 to 130 units in 25 buildings across the US. We were all all the spaces where they were apartments. So we were going into multifamily buildings. And we were redesigning them um, to host people for an average, it turned out of four nights, but we had guests from a single night to 300 plus nights staying with us. Okay. And um, we, so competitive with Sonder and Stay Alfred and other teams, some of whom made it through COVID, some of whom most of us did not. Yep. So Lyric's value proposition, uh, we really thought that the two most important things to be great at to do an end around on the hotel space were software and data. And a brand, a beautiful, yep. right? Yep. So on the data and software side, that was where Wheelhouse came in, right? We were, Wheelhouse was actually one of four softwares that Lyric was building okay. in order to create an end-to-end hospitality experience. The vision we pitched to investors was we can use our data to make informed investments. We can monetize it. We can take software above it and use it for our own team, but also sell it and monetize it. Yep. And we can take traditional cost centers and turn them into profit centers that give us competitive advantages, ultimately to outcompete hotels. Because for young, for people who are building businesses, I think we always, we, we were, or I should say, we really came to realize that the Marriott's, the Hyatt's, the Hilton's of the world, these are incredibly well-run businesses. Yeah. Hospitality yeah. is hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredibly hard. But we thought we could use software and data to cut our costs and give us competitive advantages. And then we thought you could maybe, because consumer preferences were changing, I think of Airbnb as a signaling of a merchandising revolution where all of a sudden people were looking through 300 photos, literally, before making a purchasing decision. We thought you could leverage a shift in consumer preferences to create the new brand. Hmm. And we thought if you could have a brand that could pull people to a location and a data and software stack that could cut your operating costs or even turn into profit centers, you would have a model that was ultimately impossible or very difficult to compete with. Yeah. Yeah, that was the vision. So we wanted to be excellent at brand and excellent at data and software. Our unique value proposition was exactly that. Yep. Um, we were coming up at a time when um, the Silicon Valley financial situation was just different, right? Top line revenue was all that mattered. Yep. Yep. Um, scale was important because if you wanted to break into corporate, true corporate. Uh, business, you needed. We needed to be in New York, and we needed to be in multiple markets, or else none of the big businesses would take us seriously. So we were willing to sacrifice in the name of building that corporate-ready brand. Sure, sure. So we scaled very, very quickly, um, and uh, we can talk more about that. But yeah, that was um, the unique value proposition: was could you bring a best-in-class new corporate travel brand to market again, supported by data and software, and then and only then did we think we could actually do like be the next Marriott. Yeah, yeah. On that note, I'm I'm curious. You're you're talking about a uh, a scale that's you know in quite different than that of of our core listener here, right? But one of the questions we also get all the time is like, hey, like how do you go from five to ten properties, right? Like what are the best reasons? You know, what are the best questions to be asking yourself? Like mm-hmm. how do you how do you know when you're quote unquote ready for for a leap like that, right? Um, yeah. And so I, I'd just be curious. Again, I know that the scale is is quite different here, but as you and the team were wrestling with with growth at Lyric, obviously times were different, right? And and you were you were venture backed and whatnot, but. 
what what were some of the questions that you guys wrestled with with respect to how to make good decisions about growth? Well, I don't think we did make good decisions about growth. So, uh, <laughs> what were some of the questions I, I you say, should have asked? <laughs> yeah, right. So, I, 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 look, I think um, I think uh, I'll go back to hospitality is hard. Yeah, and um, a podcast I listened to about three months before COVID hit was a podcast talking about the expansion of Virgin's hotel line, mm. and they wanted to launch ten hotels in the U.S. And they said the plan is to do one in eight years and master it and then launch nine in two years. Wow. And wow. I was like, Oh, that's right. Now, meanwhile, Lyric sitting on 25 buildings across the U S we had scaled to in two years. Yeah. I was like, Oh, <laughs> maybe patience would have been great. Uh, different capital environment made that not a, a reality. Um, but yeah, I, I think for folks who are scaling, I think, I think the first question to ask when you're at kind of three units, is are you finding revenue and resonance with the job? And hmm. by resonance, I mean, do you really love it? Hmm. Hmm. Because it is hard and you it's it's also very satisfying when, when a guest has a great experience and tells you about it. Like, that's an amazing way to start the day. Yeah, yeah. It is less amazing to start the day when someone's like, hey, I couldn't get in last night and I had to go to a hotel and I want to read that, <laughs> which happens. Yeah, happens. yeah, yeah. All sorts of crazy stuff happens in hospitality. Um, so revenue and resonance is really important just to know that you truly do want to take on scale because it almost it, it's very rarely going to get easier. Yeah. Um, the second thing to think about scale is it's easier to scale in one market than multiple. Hmm. It just is. Um, you'll get scale from operations. You'll have if you had 10 listings in a market and you were leveraging some of the local kind of operations infrastructure, you can um, you can do so. That can be everything from cleaning to trash collecting to um paying taxes to one jurisdiction like there are real operational considerations yeah that before again you go to that multi-market stage you might want to think about but um for someone going from five to ten like five to ten is definitely enough to know about the hardest aspects of the business or most of the hard aspects of the business um to know whether you want to scale and there's the next break comes when you're really starting to build out a team. Yeah. 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 That can scale yeah. the hospitality offering, which, which might come more around, like it could come around five to 10, but it's probably at 25 people at 50 people, you're starting to look at things like building on um, a CS team, yeah. full-time CS team or a revenue team or a marketing team. Like the, so you got to think about, do you love the inventory? Can you scale your operationally to multi-market and then can you scale a team and ultimately a company and culture? Yeah. And those are, they're all really different and interesting challenges that I'd kind of recommend just focusing on the next frontier Yeah, and getting there and either having fun or um, hopefully uh, remaining profitable. Yeah. Um, but, um, or even, or even just like one of the things I tell people too is, Hey, if you, if you've got three, four five units, um, and you've built a really successful brand and your, you know, your, your capacity is, 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 is quite limited and maybe you don't, maybe you aren't interested in sort of like leading a team. And if that, that's not the end goal, like you, you, you want to do this yourself and maybe you've got your partner helping out here, like part-time or whatever. 
Um, there, there are other ways to grow the business that don't involve like growing inventory, right? And I think that there are some cool yeah. examples that we're seeing, especially for folks, many of whom listen to this podcast, who have done just a really great job of building exceptional brands of, you know, yeah. uh, building building up product offerings, right? Or, or you know, experiential offerings of putting together these like even even if it's as simple as like a, a a romance package or like a birthday package or whatever and you you know you're literally yeah. you're, you're productizing right like the experience in a little bit more uh of a of a personalized fashion you charge 50 bucks it costs you 25 bucks to put this thing together like this is the, you know the, there are other ways to think about increasing the value of your portfolio or like of your business outside of just scaling number of units great point Great point. And, and, and still like a nascent area for our space because it, it takes some operational um, work to do to to do that. Yeah, and certainly at scale. But like those. Yeah. People making money off the guest stay. Um, that's like a I, that's a signal to me of a very well optimized business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and 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 I think something that um, is really interesting, too, you can scale your own operating co and have like that that brand. And there are other people, obviously, who are scaling property management companies where they're just managing properties on behalf of others. Yep. Um, and ultimately both, both do our benefit, both benefit from a great brand. Um, but I think when people think about scaling too, you might, um, I say for folks who are kind of, uh, for smaller portfolios, if you're, if you are scaling via the inventory route, you can scale through lease arbitrage. Yep. Yep. And I would just urge folks that, um, the faster you can leverage that lease arbitrage into great property management deals, probably the more defensible your business yeah. Yeah. is ultimately going to be. Uh, another, another, a whole topic in and of itself. Um, but I, I, for folks who are uh, newer to the category and and maybe are, are thinking they have to uh, take all the risk of scale, there are actually other ways to do it um, that you can even blend with your own operating portfolio that um, are de-risking yeah. of scale. Yeah. I'm scared. Yeah, no, we should we should uh do a whole episode around that cuz I do think that people would be people would be interested in 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 the know-how there. Um I do I do want to pick your brain a little bit Andrew around why you don't This is a question I feel like I've been asking several people on the podcast recently and you know, I've gotten a few interesting answers but I but I think like given your your experience um in the industry, you might you might have a a, a good perspective here. Uh I, I'm curious why we don't see why there aren't like more well established like quote unquote Marriott's or or Hilton's or or Hyatt's in, in this space. Meaning mm -hmm. like why why aren't there name brand right um recognizable uh essentially operators and, and and management companies in this space at scale obviously you've got like you know the vacasas you've got like you know um maybe avant stay falls into this category as well but like what those those are those are a couple and and vacasa anyways doesn't particularly have like the greatest uh, brand affinity right now, right among both guests and hosts, and so like, why why haven't we seen more emergence of of sort of these branded portfolios that have the the kind of reputation, right, that well established hotel brands might have? Is it just because the category is just too freaking new, or like, what what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's a great question. I think uh. I do think part of it is like our category is truly, I would still argue at the early side of professionalization. And again, from consumer awareness, corporate travel adoption, technology, the supply footprint, 
it's on, it is, I, I think we will see large brands emerge and um, that's, that's part one. I'd say part two, operationally, the short-term rental business is more complex than a hotel business. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, when hotels are cleaning rooms for 30 bucks and uh, one person can sit at a front desk and basically manage the whole building, that is that is different than managing 150 distributed spaces. Yep. True. Right. Yep. Whether it's cleaning costs or the cleaning time. Um, so operationally, far more complex business right now. Um, I think... I, I do think big brands will emerge. I think the new generation of operators that I'm seeing are, are really fascinating. And um, I mean, you you see models like Wander and Summer and others yeah. who are kind of bringing like really brand forward, tech forward, um, like great young entrepreneurs to be blunt. Yeah. Coming into the category. That's what's required, I think, to build a big national brand, yeah. right? Like Marriott didn't just happen. Like you had leadership that was that was focused on building a big national and ultimately multinational brand. And I think our category is starting to become serious enough where you'll see those entrepreneurs who come in and say, the inventory type makes sense. Yeah. Technology is better. The demand's there. Let's build a true national multinational brand. But like, I think it's going to take two decades. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And like, when you look back, I mean, the rise of brands really emerged. My my understanding, as taught by hoteliers, is that brands really emerged around the emergence of the U.S. highway system when all of a sudden people were traveling so much more frequently hmm. or flying so much more frequently that they landed in in Atlanta and they're like, "I know the Marriott name. I'm going to go stay there." Yeah, interesting. It's yeah, crazy long ago, right? It's like yeah. call it seventy years ago, sixty years ago. And then you had uh, the rise of boutique was at least partly enabled by online discovery. Yeah, from the ability for any boutique to be discovered by anyone going on and searching online. So, great hoteliers in the past have have referred to the rise of Airbnb. One of my favorite mentors described it as a fifty year career in the market. He said, Airbnb and this inventory type reflect the sixth great transition hmm. that he's seen in hospitality. So. I would just say, like, we're so nascent in the category. Give it 20 years and we'll see the most popular brands are going to have at least some inventory, if not a majority of inventory that looks like modern, that looks like a modernized short term rental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's um, it's super it's it's super cool to hear you say that. And I, I love those those couple of anecdotes that you that you wove in there, too, because I think it is just helpful for folks who are newer to the space too, who are seeing all these opportunities like. Hey, you're seeing opportunities go go after them because it is still so new. Like don't yeah. just assume that somebody has has tried this, right? Or somebody or five different people are working on it. Again, in the limited time that I've sort of dabbled in this space, I've just been surprised by talking to some very smart people like yourself who've been in the industry for a while who are like, "Yeah, like that's an opportunity. Like go after it. Go tackle this. Go try this," yeah. right? Because like there aren't Historically, uh, up until quite recently, there haven't been enough uh, young uh, entrepreneurs who who have taken this space um, seriously. And quite frankly, I actually think I'm sure there's somebody who's smarter than me who's uh, got some data to back this up. But I, I think part of it came actually during COVID when a bunch of young people decided to just go travel and stay in Airbnbs for a month and work remotely where it was like all these light bulbs of like, wait a second, like 
I could do this better, or this is a broken experience, or oh my gosh, these people nailed it. Why isn't this my experience every time I'm at a short-term rental, right? Or And, and so I, I do actually think that even just the the awareness in sort of like entrepreneurship circles about this, about like hospitality seem, yeah. seems to be sort of like relatively new. I don't know if you'd agree with that or not, but. I 100% agree. Okay, at last, at VRMA in Las Vegas last year, we stood in front of the room and we asked the audience, we said, keep your hand up for the number of technologies you have yeah. that you employ to run your business. And by the time we got to, do you use four softwares to run your business? Essentially every hand was down. Wow. And I was like, okay, well, at Wheelhouse, we probably employ 40 softwares to yeah. run our business. Yeah. And oh, by the way, I know of at least seven categories of software. And I was kind of chewing on that notion. I decided to lay out a market map of the industry. Yeah. And um, start, like the, my now basic, like, what does the market look like? There are at least 21 categories of software wow. that exist for short-term rentals, some of which didn't emerge until recently. Like, how do you manage your taxes? Well, if you're in multi-market, you need to use Avalara to figure out how to like actually pay so pay taxes so you have a legal business. Yeah. How do you manage your cash flow? How do you pay employees? How do you manage car like cards? Teams like Top Key are coming out of, out of YC now with like millions in funding to answer these questions. And like there are whole verticals. Loyalty doesn't exist for short term. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, it's pretty big for hotels. And in fact, most hotel calls want to be loyalty companies long term. So like there's whole categories of software that are essentially undiscovered or under underdeveloped. Um Underwriting for a category, super nascent. Yeah, yeah. No, no modern hotel would be underwritten on a napkin, and essentially every business in our space are, is underwritten by a spreadsheet with limited data. Yeah, yeah. With professionalization occurring in the space, no way LPs or investors would be like, "Oh, you looked at a little bit of data. This is your hunch on how to underwrite this asset." Like that will change. <laughs> so again, we're like whether it's whether it's the brands or whether it's the technology stack. I I think and like look I I I obviously love the space I'm a decade in and I I I enjoy the people in it and I enjoy uh, every almost every aspect of the business so I'm I'm a little bit biased probably too biased on the space but I again would state we're in the early innings the trade off of large companies haven't emerged yet why can't they do it I would say as large companies have emerged yet why couldn't you be the one to do it right yeah. it's like some at some point someone will build a big big business yeah and I think. It's going to take again more and more great entrepreneurs coming into the tech side or to the brand side and saying, I'm going to commit the next 50 years of my life. I know that sounds scary, <laughs> but it's true. Commit a decade minimum to build the iconic brand. Yeah. But someone's going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I they're, got probably starting, they're probably starting now. Yeah. 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 No. Yeah. I love it. Um, this is, this is awesome. Last minute cancellations suck. And that's why we built Ping. Ping makes it easy for guests to be notified when their favorite Airbnbs become available. Ping is a simple widget that lives on your website or your direct booking site and allows your fans and followers to sign up and be notified if their preferred dates become available. Here's how it works. Jimmy sees that you're booked the whole month of October, but he wants to be notified if any three night window in the month becomes available. Jen is a returning guest and she wants to be notified if any week in June, July, or August becomes available. In a matter of seconds, Jimmy and Jen fill out the simple form and they will be pinged if the requested dates become available. 
And as a host, you will immediately get pinged via email with Jimmy and Jen's contact information and requested dates, which enables you to build up your own database of guest email addresses. Ping is what the best Airbnb hosts use to maximize bookings. You can get access to our beta pricing with plans that start at just $39 a year at bnbping.com. Again, that's bnbping.com. So I, I do want to I want to talk a little bit about Wheelhouse, which is uh, where most of your time is uh, at least spent thinking and ideating today. Um, yeah. Where so so if I if I heard you correctly, Wheelhouse and Lyric you were building simultaneously. Um, Wheelhouse yeah. was a, a part one of the four software I think that you said that you were building um, in conjunction with Lyric. COVID hits, uh, and you end up deciding to pivot fully to 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 building Wheelhouse. If I understand all that correctly, um, yeah. What what is Wheelhouse? Where are we at with Wheelhouse? What's like on the roadmap for Wheelhouse? Awesome. Okay. So Wheelhouse and Lyric, same company at one point. Uh, we're actually the same company today. We restructured during COVID. Okay. We had to, we did the uh, not fun thing of going from 150 people in 25 buildings to zero buildings and 12 people yeah. laying off 138 via Zoom. Ugh. And it's, it was terrible. Um, but we, um, Wheelhouse had been kind of out the door as a consumer facing product. And the opportunity we were still fascinated by was what would a true B2B version of not pricing, but revenue management look like and mm. dynamic pricing and revenue management are related, but different things. Yeah. Right. Almost like if you're thinking about your entire marketing approach, direct booking might be one of your approaches your email campaigns, your online advertising, et cetera, would be part of your marketing approach. And revenue management is the larger family of activities that pricing slots into. And we thought there was not a good revenue management platform designed for teams. And okay. we thought that because at Lyric, above our consumer version of Wheelhouse, we had built like a bigger product suite. Hmm. And we said, well, why don't we bring that to everyone and see what happens? Yeah. So Wheelhouse, we basically, when we lost Lyric, we shut down the portfolio. Um, we put our heads down for 10 months and and basically launched something that we called Wheelhouse Pro. Okay. Uh, kind of at the start of 2021. And um, decided that we wanted to be a fully transparent revenue management platform. And that means we publish all of our research, all of our data is accessible. We just, we would say, we basically were like, well, as an operator, we'd never buy a black box. Why would we sell a black box? Hmm. Hmm. Publish, publish your research. Very interesting. So we we um, took that approach. We ended up winning Innovation of the Year for that product. Um, and yet in winning that award, a bunch of people came up to us and they said, hey, we still don't want to use data-driven pricing. We still want more of that revenue management suite. Yeah. So Wheelhouse today is a, we listened to that. That was 18 months ago. We are a full revenue management platform at this point. Pricing is part of it. You can use as much or as little data as you want. We have other comp set, marker reports, booking intelligence tools that help you um, kind of really build your own strategy. Yeah. So that's Wheelhouse today. Um, real fast, real fast, just to interrupt. One, one yeah. of the things I loved about your your website was, and I like I like that you brought this up because it just triggered this this memory. Um, I like that you, the way that at least your copy is 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 constructed on your website, you talk about like building your pricing strategy or building your revenue strategy which offers choice, right? Like I think some sometimes, at least with uh, in, in my experience with some of the other tools out there, 
you you kind of feel like you either need to trust the tool, right? Or you're like you're an idiot. Like it, it, it it's almost <laughs> positioned like you mean you're not doing dynamic pricing? Like wow, you're missing. I mean, no wonder you're not profitable. Like no wonder you make no money. Like it, it, it you almost feel like well. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not like a computer. Like, I'm not AI. I don't actually know. And it almost it almost feels like you either have to trust the quote unquote black box that you were just referencing, or you're making all the wrong moves for your business. But the way that you guys have positioned uh, it, at least on your 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 landing page, your pricing page, uh, I felt like empowered me as a you know prospective customer with the fact that, or with the insight that like, hey, you're, you're specific, there's a lot of ways to do this, right? Like there are a lot of strategies here. We're gonna help you figure out how to build the strategies that make the most sense, you know, given your context. So anyways, yeah. tell your marketing person that, uh, or whoever whoever came up with that that, <laughs> that, 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 that worked on me. Like I got it immediately. Well, so let's, can we explore that a little bit? Please. It's actually a pre- okay, so dynamic pricing generally works right it's available in every single industry like you know flights and hotels are what's usually referenced but like the price of fruit changes based on the season the price of gas changes based on supply and demand right everything is is trying to all those all those prices just a signal of expected market demand um, or actual market demand and supply um so anyway pricing pricing does generally work um where revenue management comes in is um really when you're trying to build a strategy i think there are a lot of rational revenue management strategies and i also would argue that your revenue strategy should change um over time Hmm. and by that i mean like let's say you were priced a particular way and you just got a huge booking and all of a sudden for july you've got five thousand dollars on the books yep cool well maybe you want to take a little more risk for those remaining days in July now. So as you got a booking, yep. your revenue strategy should change. So over time, your revenue strategy should change. Maybe you have a new property that you're bringing to market that you want to price more conservatively until you have confidence in how aggressively you can price it. Totally fair idea. Maybe you want to do something like control minimum length of stay for particular periods because they're you know you don't want to get a two-day booking in the middle of a seven-day event in your market. There's a lot of decisions yeah. that are, I would call, operational. Yeah, yeah or kind of your risk profile based decisions and pricing engines are a part of it, Hmm. but they don't know your whole damn strategy. Yep. They don't know a lot of what you're doing. So what wheelhouse tries to make it possible to do is build your best revenue management strategy. If you're a property manager, your best strategy is to price so that you retain all of your owners Yep. and you get new owners, Yep. which might not mean you take the riskiest pricing approach. You just, hit a budget that the owner gives you. Yeah. Totally rational strategy to expand your business. So we serve people across resorts, hotels, short-term rentals, corporate rentals, so 30-day plus. They're all running different strategies. We have to make a platform that works for any strategy. It makes it very easy. And, And the reason we publish all of our research is we don't think we're selling you a pricing engine. Therefore, we can tell you everything we do. Yeah. Just so you can figure out if and how you want to modify it. And we think that's, the appropriate thing to do, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, that's super interesting. I um, it, it's funny. It did this just uh, again popped into to my head as you're as you're chatting here. Um, I was talking to somebody who was running like a major influencer campaign. So they have, uh, they, I guess they have five like cabins on like one one uh, plot of land, and they're you know very very beautiful cabins like. Uh, tons of influencers from all over the world have come and like taken photos and like shot videos and whatnot. 
Well, they were talking to me. They were like, hey, like I've got like six campaigns uh, launching next month um, with, with all this fresh new content, right? And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And I was like, yeah, so like, how are, how are you thinking about tracking this? Like, what, do you have any, are you adjusting your pricing strategies at all? And they were like, oh, I didn't even I didn't even think about that, right? And I'm like, you literally have let these people stay at your places for free. You've paid some of them. You're creating all this content. All this content is about to go live. You're gonna get a shit ton of people hopefully looking at your stuff. And you're telling me like you you didn't even think, oh, maybe I should increase my nightly rate during just this month while you all these campaigns are going live, right? At least as yeah. a test. Maybe even just the yeah. first week. Hey, if 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 it's, you know, you get nothing, pull back, right? And it was so I was hashing it out with them and they were like, I'm gonna go do that right now. And it was just so funny that like again, these really smart people who've done they've built these massive brands, they've they're doing they're doing all the things, right? But then when it comes to like thinking intelligently about revenue management and pricing strategies it, it's almost like that's like a a second thought or or a third thought or it's a thought that doesn't even come to come to mind at all which is which is sad and scary because you're investing all this time you might as well like see if you can reap additional benefit i couldn't have picked a better example of um that is exactly right a simple ab test very few folks are doing i would say one percent of people i've ever come across in the short-term rental space are running the AB tests. Yep. <laughs> Whether that's right now or ever, right? And what's what's crazy about that is like, I mean, if you come from the software landscape, you're used to at least AB testing a few things. Yeah. Uh, maybe you might have a product philosophy that's like, hey, we just ship and learn, but that's still a form of AB testing in my mind. Um, so yeah, I would say like, exactly. So a pricing, a pricing tool yeah. would say, hey, trust us. A revenue management platform would say, and this is what Wheelhouse does, is like, Let's make it easy for you in one minute Yeah. to set up your portfolio so you can run an A-B test. Hmm. Hmm. Okay? Because it's like, hey, we're going to know a lot. We're going to tell you all the demand signals. We're going to tell you how we would have priced. And yet if you want to test and try to break the strategy, because like every pricing engine is still guessing yep. at what they think the market will clear at, and it is still a guess. Yeah. In truth, you only know the best pricing strategy after the entire market is cleared. Yep. Yeah. I can always tell you yesterday what would have been the best strategy. Looking forward, even the best systems, all we're trying to do is make more accurate guesses. Yeah. And therefore, we're running A-B tests all the time. Operators should as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, amen. Dude, oh, say that again. Because it's just it's so important. And, then, and to your point, just to, to uh, add on to it quickly here, it only has the data that it has the data like that it has access to right meaning like it doesn't know right uh it doesn't know that oh you've worked offline with six influencers right and they're about to launch all this content in one month there's no way that these engines know that stuff right unless you tell it to them right unless they have data that to make good informed decisions off of so that's the other 100%. thing too is like they you know you're you're limited in terms of the the data that you that you have available that you have access to so um Oh gosh, right. I'm talking about this stuff. Yeah. And and very like in that front, even so wheelhouse, I think so we run a, a 10 million patient, so to speak, survival model every single night. We're predicting what price 10 million listings worldwide will sell at, right? <laughs> and good. running hazard modeling around it. So if you take a particular it's like insane, there's insane published research. Like it's I love it. Yeah. Um, and I've worked with the same team for since beyond eight years, right? Amazing individuals. Even at that, uh I would, yeah, I, I would still tell you we we are a doing our best to guess, and we won't until your bookings actually change, and we could see you truly booking differently than the market. Our system wouldn't know you're running that campaign, yeah, 
and adjust prices. So we'd respond to your to your bookings. So you could, you'd be wise to go in and say, hey, let's bump these properties up by 20%. Yep. And that's a test A and let's leave others in a particular fashion. There can be some what's known as cannibalization where of course your low price properties will book first if everyone sees them equally. But there are things you can do to run tests that are um, that are really cool and really powerful. And like that's exactly where strategy plus a system like Wheelhouse, Kindly, not to talk the book too much, that's what's exciting to us right now. And when you ask, what are we doing next? It's like, oh, we're building tools for revenue managers. Yeah, yeah. And and like we're we're in generation two to three of revenue management for the category. Eventually, it looks like how do you monetize the entire customer journey? Um, how do you do like you know, dynamic pacing of your portfolio, a totally fun topic to talk about at some point. Um, but yeah, we're we're just like every other category of short-term rental and VR, um, early days for true revenue management actually arriving to our category. Yeah. Oops. Yeah, dude. Uh, I Well, I'm super thankful that you've taken uh, time out of your really busy life to chat with us, to share stories, to share insight. This has been, I've learned a lot. Uh, this has been, this has been jam-packed with value. So I know, I know our listeners um, have, have learned a lot as well. My, my last kind of question for you is any, any sort of hot takes. I, I feel like you've shared a lot uh, already, but any additional sort of hot takes on, on sort of the future of travel or hospitality or, or just opportunities that, that you're paying close attention to and or that you think others should be paying close attention to? Yeah, I, I, I think number one is demand side, right? So I still look at the shift in on um, the shift in how what percentage of people can work from home. And what happened is like spike during COVID, to like 70 plus percent of America could work from home, a relatively rapid re- return to about 30 percent and now a leveling out for 12 months. Yep. Yep. Maybe not a fad, probably the future. Yeah. Part one's Part two, demand. Um, the work that Sonder and other teams have done um, really paved the way for the largest real estate companies to understand that this inventory type, again, isn't a fad, it's the future. So I think supply is really interesting to pay attention to. That can be a benefit. There might be more supply for you to manage if you're doing property management. It might mean more capital for great operators to expand their business. It might mean more competitors. Hmm. So the, the supply and demand pieces, I'm fascinated by those things. And then generally, um, I would highly recommend that people uh, get well-versed in the breadth of technology being built to simplify your business. Because again, I will um, state with, I don't think hyperbole that there are 21 plus categories of software out there that can help your business. Yeah, And I think we're still nascent. So a lot to learn, a lot's going on everywhere. Um, I mean, I, I recognize that the best time ever to start a business was probably middle of 2020. <laughs> I, I think it's still a good time. Um, and I think the best brands will be started uh, this year slash maybe last year slash maybe in, maybe this in the coming year. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see. Well, Andrew, this has been uh, this has been awesome. I really, really appreciate again your time and all that you're building in this space. And so, if you want to learn more about what Andrew and his team are up to, if you want to learn more about Wheelhouse, we'll have links in the show notes below. You can just scroll on down, and we'll have links to their website, to their social, all that fun stuff. Andrew, if it's cool with you, I'll also go ahead and link your socials down there in the show notes, so folks yeah, can reach out and connect as well if if um if they so desire. But thank you so much for your time, man. It's been a pleasure. Likewise, really fun questions. Appreciate it, Zach. We'll hang more soon, okay? Recording stopped.
Hey friends, hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you are an Airbnb host or know an Airbnb host who'd like to come on the show, please send me an email at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com and we will chat. Behind the Stays is brought to you each week by Spontaneous, a carefully curated weekly newsletter that brings you the best last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. It's sort of like Scott's cheap flights, but for Airbnb. You can sign up once again for free at spontaneous.com. Last but certainly not least, I didn't believe in Marie Kondo's whole spark joy mantra until I started podcasting. Now, my joy is sparked every time I see a new subscriber roll in. So please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And so you add a little spark to my joy fire today. Okay, that was kind of weird, but um, we're going to roll with it. Subscribe. Um, And thanks in advance. All right, everyone. See you next time.